Do you want your middle school girl to grow into a strong, confident, and resilient young adult? So do I. The only thing is, middle school's hard for both kids and parents. Welcome to the Raising Middle School Girls podcast. I'm Janice Scholl, and I'm just a regular parent on a mission to uncover the best tips and advice for raising middle school girls. Hi everyone, Janice Scholl here, and today I'm talking with Caroline Sumners. Caroline is the president and founder of Empower Academic Coaching, an individualized academic and coaching support program for middle and high schoolers who focus on developing the whole student. Thank you so much for joining us today, Caroline. Yeah, thank you for having me. Can you tell us a little bit about that inspiration and how you came to launch Empower? Yeah. So I taught a lot of different things over my career, but where I spent most of my time was teaching science and English to seventh graders. And I loved getting to teach them both classes because I got to know them really well. And one of the things I saw is that they there were some kids who just, they had all of the academic skills they needed to succeed but they still weren't seeing it in terms of their success in the class because of things like walking into class that day and being completely surprised there was a test, even though I felt as a teacher that I had made it really clear Um, or things like just not turning in assignments. So I began to invite a few of these students into my homeroom in the morning. And so it was just a really nice, time before school where the pressures of the day hadn't started yet and we started to talk about their entire school day and school week so a lot of times as a teacher i felt at least this pressure to really help kids be successful in my class but i really tried to take a broader view of how can they be successful throughout the school day and so we would go on the whiteboard draw out a week of their life, talk about everything that was going on, what Spanish tests they had coming up, what English tests they had coming up or essays. And we started breaking those down and they would record this information and make their own unique plan for how they were going to remember their assignments and prepare for their tests. And I noticed a change in both of us. For me, it, it gave me such empathy for how hard it is to be a middle school student For many middle schoolers, it's the first time they have that many different teachers and different classes, and it's a lot to juggle and manage. And I didn't see another time in the school day where they were really being taught how to manage that. They were just expected to succeed. And for them, I think it really unlocked, oh, like, first of all, looking around and seeing that there were other people in the room who needed the same help. I'm not alone. There's not something wrong with me that I'm having trouble keeping up. There are these other people here who want to support me. And it allowed us to really connect and celebrate each other's successes. And based on that, I thought, you know, if these kids are struggling with it, I'm sure there's more. And I want to help kind of decode some of the mysteries of school. I love that. Decode some of the mysteries of school. So, you know, I think that all teachers really want our kids to thrive. They want us, they they focus on their area of their course, their class that they're teaching, but they do want successful kids in, in whole. But 
It feels like there's something about the way our academic system that doesn't really allow teachers to do that. What do you think is going on in the school system that's really prohibiting teachers to be able to spend the time that you were doing when you were teaching doing these kinds of activities? Yeah, I think teaching is one of the toughest jobs out there. And I'm only saying it's not the toughest because that was the only job I had before this one. And I think, you know, I I haven't experienced everything, but it is definitely a job where you have a thousand and one things to do every day. And teachers get into this work because they love kids and do want them to succeed. And that's a lot of pressure in itself, just knowing that you're having such a huge impact on these children's lives. I mean, I'm sure we can all remember um, a teacher who had a huge impact on us, whether that was positive or negative. And so you want to make sure that you're doing everything you can to create those positive experiences. But there's so much more than just teaching content or teaching executive functioning skills that's going on. There's so much pressure, I think, to, you know, also help kids with some of the social emotional skills that they need to learn and standardized testing. You know, executive functioning is not really something that you can easily measure on a test. And if you are expected to help your students succeed on measures like that, it can be hard to also work in just something else in your day. I think teachers a lot of times are expected to keep adding and adding and adding and nothing is ever really taken away, taken off their plate. And so I completely understand why there's not the time right now. And I also think it's because it's a developing area of research. So, you know, I didn't learn about executive functioning in my own teaching program. I don't remember learning about it um, as a student myself. And so it makes sense that it hasn't quite made its way into the classroom yet, because, of course, before we implement anything new, we want to make sure it's best practices, it's grounded in research. And so I think we will see it incorporated more in the future. There's already some um, programs that help teachers to do that. But I think we will see it take on um, a broader incorporation in the coming years because it is so critical for student success. It, it is. And as someone who really needed it badly when she was in middle and high school, um, I definitely see the value in it. You know, um, only in interviewing people about our kids have I learned about this this term executive functioning. And now it's like all I talk about because it was it was the stress for me in in all of my academic years and really didn't come together until I was in college. You have an academic coaching program. Can you tell us what exactly is an academic coach? You told us a little bit about the types of activities you work with your students, like organizing their schedule and stuff, but but what is the all-encompassing academic coach kind of concept? Yeah, so academic coaching is a holistic approach to education where a coach will work with a student on customized strategies that will help them to achieve their academic and oftentimes their personal goals as well um, through the lens of academic skills that are needed for their success and not just meeting their goals, but also helping students really uncover 
what those goals are. And from the outside, at first, it may look really similar to tutoring. So we still work with students to help them learn the content that they need to know for school, but it's always with a deeper purpose. So I say that tutoring is really answering the question of what, and coaching is really about answering the questions of why and how. And one reason that's really important to me is because if I'm, if I work with a student only on learning, let's say the parts of a cell to help them succeed on their next biology test, once that test is over, okay, yeah, now they know some information about the cell and hopefully they'll hang on to it, but that's not guaranteed. And I really want them to learn along the way, oh, when I study this particular way, I learn the information a lot more deeply than if I studied this way that I was doing before. Like one strategy we teach is called retrieval practice. So it's where you really just practice remembering. And I know that sounds so obvious, but if you think about, I think about the ways that I studied in high school, I did a lot of rereading, highlighting, all of those things that feel like you're doing something, but when you get to the test, you're not able to reread, you're not able to highlight, you've got to remember. So we work with students on strategies like that, where we do a lot of self-quizzing, creating practice tests. And if we do that as the foundation of learning those organelles for the cell, then they can transfer that to a new context. And that's really what makes executive functioning such a challenge is you have to be able to learn how to use your skills in different contexts. That's why I love coaching. It gives us that regular weekly space to check in, talk about the strategies they've used and say, okay, now how can we use them in a different context? And I also just love that because it means that this is so much deeper than just helping them succeed in sixth grade. This is really setting them up to have the skills to be successful in their life. Yeah, so it's interesting because the the content matters, but the content is almost for the purpose of your coaching, it's really the experiment, right? It's the thing that they're working on to figure out what works for the student and to find those strategies that you overlay on all of their learning. Yeah, absolutely. It's really a, a two for one sort of deal. I want to talk a little bit about how you would know if your student may be struggling with executive functioning. Um, what will we be seeing at home? I think you mentioned the student walking into class and not knowing there's a test. That's a pretty obvious example, but sometimes it doesn't look exactly like that. So can you talk to us a little bit about if a parent is wondering if this is something they need their child needs to work on, what might they be seeing? Yeah, so... I'll definitely share a few things to look for, but I also want to emphasize that executive functioning skills develop over the lifetime well into adulthood. And so to some extent, you know, every every child is going to have their own unique areas of strength and areas that they can work on on developing. And so it's it's not a, it's not a concern if some of the things I'm about to list pop up every so often. Um, that's just kind of life, especially as a child or as a teenager. 
Um, and even myself as an adult, you know, sometimes I will accidentally, you know, pay a bill a day late. And then I have to reflect on my own strategies and be like, okay, I didn't do the best on prioritizing that. Let me set it up on auto pay. We all have these little things that pop up and you would certainly see that in your child as well. You know, one, one missed assignment is not a concern, but it is an opportunity to talk with them about, you know, in a really non-judgmental way, like what happened and what could you do next time to help you avoid that. But if you're starting to see things more frequently, like I'll give a few school examples and a few home examples. So school could be things like the teacher sharing your child's a pleasure to have in class, but they are not really living up to their potential. Such a, a loaded term right there, potential. But that indicates there's some disconnect between how like your child's academic skills and how they're actually performing in the classroom. It could be things like yeah, constantly being surprised by tests or assignments, asking you every time they have a project, oh yeah, I need you to run to the store and get me a few like craft materials or um, maybe like having to miss out on some field trips because they forgot to bring the permission slip to you. If they're constantly leaving their lunchbox at home. Um, I think something you could see at home is trouble with things like helping out with the family chores. Maybe you have an expectation for some really age appropriate things that they're going to help out with and they're constantly forgetting or just not doing the task the way that you've shown them how or what your expectations are. Um, it could also be a, that your conversations as a family are growing more tense, especially around school. A lot of families come to us when they notice okay, things are getting pretty stressful. I feel like I'm having to really get involved in their life and take care of a lot of things in terms of their schedule or managing their assignments, communicating with their teachers, things that by middle school students should really be starting to take on um, more of those responsibilities. So seeing things like that could be an indication it's time to get some support or start working on executive functioning skills a little more concretely. Yeah. And I think that really helps kind of outline some of the things, but you know, is I think for us parents, sometimes we think that this is just like growing up. It's just something that happens organically as a child matures and realizes there are responsibilities and things like that. But, um, but what you're telling me is that not all kids really pick it up organically. Is that is that a fair statement? Yeah, and I would say too that it's not something they really can be expected to pick up organically because the way that you learn executive functioning skills is through experiences and then also the support of caring adults around you who really help break it down because they're, you know, at least a few steps ahead of you in the development of that skill. And so just being able to learn from someone who's a little bit further along than you, but who can really help you process what's going on. I think sometimes we confuse consequences with learning. So for example, when a student gets 
um, a zero on a missed assignment. I think there's an expectation that the child will then not turn in a late assignment again, that they'll learn from that experience. But that's not really the case. There has to be some explicit teaching around, okay, what led to you turning in the assignment late? Um, and what could we do to fix that specific thing? Because there's so many reasons an assignment could be turned in late. And as a parent, that's an opportunity for you to talk with them about what that reason is. If it's a lack of understanding the material and like a fear to then have to complete that assignment and demonstrate that they don't know the material, that's going to require a much different solution than someone who um, I've worked with so many students who will work so hard on an assignment, they'll complete it to the best of their ability and they'll leave it on their desk at home. And that requires a, a different a different approach as well. So that's why I love the coaching space. And that's something that parents can replicate at home as well is just creating that time and space to really talk through what happened and come up with a plan for the future. And then the child can take that plan and have a different experience next time. And that's really where the learning happens. Yeah. I, you know, you're talking about the why. And sometimes as parents, it's so easy to like be triggered by what happens with our kid and be like, why didn't you do this? But we're not really asking why they didn't do something. We're really saying you should have done this. Mm -hmm. And we're not really giving them that space. And I always try to remember the, you know, what, what experts say where our kids are trying to do their best. They want to please us. They want to please their teachers. So if they're not, there's something that is a barrier to them. Oh, absolutely. So I try to remind myself that when we're like, why didn't you do this? Although my daughter's executive functioning as she's managing middle school is has far surpassed what mine was at that age. So it's the empathy I have from myself as a child that I feel for the kids who are going through this because it does just come more naturally to some than it does to others. Um, but you're right. I think it, there's no scenario where it wouldn't be a benefit to a child if you help them through that, even if they're organized, even if they are able to stay on top of things. Just understanding the why and the prioritization, I would assume, is always helpful. Yeah, you're so right. And I also think even for kids who who seem like they're really excelling, um, and they are staying organized and they are prioritizing, it's still worth having those conversations because sometimes, and this is definitely the kind of student that I was in middle and high school, sometimes all of that outward success is coming at the expense of some inner peace. And I definitely did all the right things, but it required a ton of energy. And I was putting a ton of pressure on myself to be perfect, which is just, it's just unreasonable. And then it's, it's also hard to be your best self in that, in that case. So I think even the kids who it doesn't seem like they have executive functioning skills, just communicating the message that it's okay to, to mess up and we'll figure out a way forward together. Yet, like you said, to tap into that empathetic um, space can be really powerful and just communicating that we're not expecting you to be a tiny adult. We know that you are a child or a teenager and we're going to help you get the skills you need to get to adulthood. 
Yeah, I think it's so important because we put so much pressure on this age group. And you're right. Some kids might be able to put to hold it together. And especially our girls, you know, many of them do try outwardly to project what they believe the people around them want them to produce. But it's it's internally really hard on them. Yeah. Let's talk about the benefits or improvements that you've seen in the clients you've worked with. You know, we I, I assume that they're more organized and they're turning in their assignments, but kind of that whole student, tell us about what you see. Yeah, I see the things that you just mentioned. And one thing that makes me really happy is how many families say our family dynamics have gotten better because often when families come to us, part of the frustration is just needing to be the educational liaison for their child. And that it just requires a lot of energy, especially with all of the online portals that you have to log into. There might be different ones for grades and for homework. And there's also a ton of emails to sort through. And so to have to do all of that and also to be navigating this you know, different age for your child where they are starting to become more independent and really need to exercise their own autonomy. Um, There's going to be some natural tension there as they begin to separate a little bit from you and become their own person. So just having someone else come in, a caring adult who is not their parent and not their teacher can be really beneficial for the child because they'll share one of the words that comes up the most in our surveys with our kids is that they love how non-judgmental of a space it is. Um, And I think that then takes the pressure off parents and caregivers to just let them get back to being a family, you know, enjoying the other aspects of being together besides just having to check in on the homework all the time. I also think we see kids get a lot more confident and become better at advocating for what they need because when students first come to us, sometimes they don't realize that they're allowed to ask their teacher for help, (laughs) that that's not an admission of weakness, but it's actually a great sign. It means that you've reflected on what you know and what you need to know for the future what do you need help with? And um, so we work on confidence there and communication strategies. And so a lot of our students share that they're much, they have much better relationships with their teachers. They feel more confident about school. They aren't having as many negative feelings about school. I mean, let's be real. I work with teenagers, so they're still going to complain a bit about it, but they, their parents report like, that they don't have quite um, the same anxiety around school that they used to. And, you know, grades are often the last thing because they're a lagging indicator. They're based on, you know, a comprehensive view of the student. It can take a while to grade things. And so that's often the last indicator that we'll see, but we definitely see it. And I think that's a testament to how much working on those strategies can really help and also just focusing on a specific goal instead of having students really say, okay, well that test is done. 
that's over. Let me move on to the next thing. Just being able to talk about, well, what's your goal and how are you going to get there? Um, many times they do choose that they want to improve in a class. And so, yeah, grades would be one of those benefits as well. Yeah. And, you know, you, you started touching on communication and self-advocacy and the importance of those and how that really interacts with executive functioning. You know, I think that a lot of us adults, I don't think, I know you read it every day that, you know, we feel like our young adults and tweens and teens don't have the same communication skills that we had. And, um, you know, the pandemic didn't help that either. But what are you seeing in regards to communication skills with the students that you're working with? Are you seeing something similar to that? Yeah, I mean, they they do have communication skills, but they are so much different. So they are great at short form communication. They can text. They can communicate with each other on whatever social media um, is is popular at the time among their age group. And I've had to remember that as their, you know, first their teacher and then their coach that, you know, email is normal to me. I, I even emailed my friends when I was in high school. We didn't, we had texting, but it was like T9 word. You had to like really work for a text. <laughs> so it better be worth it. I wasn't like sending texts all day. Um, <laughs> But for kids now, like that is the way that they communicate with their friends. Um, so for me, it's been about remembering that they do have those skills, but they need help on transferring them to a way that helps them communicate with adults. So for example, with their teachers, they're not going to be able to text their teachers. They really have a couple great options, which is talking to them in person or email. And so we talk through based on the situation, what's the best way to communicate for this particular need. So I was recently working with a student who was struggling in her math class and she needed some help from her teacher, but she was afraid to approach the teacher because she felt like she was admitting that she didn't understand the information and she really felt like she should have understood it. And she thought her teacher had done a great job with the lessons and, you know, that it was something on her that she hadn't understood. So we talked through that and discussed our options. So we talked about how she could approach the teacher in person. And she shared that she was a bit nervous to let her peers know that she was struggling. And I think that's something to really keep in mind, especially for middle school and high school students, is that's a time where your peers' perceptions of you are really important, and that's totally developmentally appropriate. So we talked about a way that she could go maybe after class, and she said, well, I don't know what I'm going to say. So we did a little bit of a role play exercise where I was a teacher, and she could practice some of the things she would actually say in a really safe environment where I could also give her some instant feedback on, oh, I love how you phrased that. That's a really effective way to ask for what you need. Or have you thought about trying, you know, saying it this way? And we also, um, sometimes students can benefit from little sentence starters. Like, 
it's a little bit easier to say what you don't understand if you can first say what you do understand. So we'll start out with, I do understand the first three steps of the problem all the way until you get to this point. But I, where I lose you is this part right here. Could you start there and walk me through the last steps? That feels less scary than just admitting you don't know the whole thing. And it's also more beneficial for the teacher because then they have like a laser focus on really what is confusing rather than just, I don't understand how to figure out this equation. Um, for email, the benefit of that is it takes some of that in-person pressure off. But if you are helping out a student with an email, you do have to remember that is not the language that they speak or are used to. So you have to get really granular and focus on things that you might not realize you have to focus on. I certainly didn't at first. We really start with the subject line, like what's an effective subject line. Okay. And then a lot of times because of texting nature, students will jump right into their message and just say what they need. And so we talk about, here's how you start an email. Um, let's put your teacher's name, maybe some kind of pleasantry at the beginning. Let's make your request, talk about why, and then thank them for their time. Um, and so just going through those different scenarios, I think can really help kids with their communication skills and help them take what they're great at already, put it in a new context. Yeah. So there's a few things that you said that I just love, but I mean, overall, it's that first of all, this change in perspective that you offer on our young people and their communication skills, they do have them. They're just remarkably different from ours. And, you know, we should expect that because of how much technology has changed in that time. So us older people who are like, oh, these young people, they don't communicate anymore. Actually, they do. It's just not the way we do. I think every parent who hears that can change a little bit about how they engage with their kid when they're talking about communication, because we shouldn't set the same expectations for them in communication as we do a 40-year-old. Mm -hmm. So we can teach them those skills. They're completely teachable. They just don't know them from being in school and growing up with it. The other thing, I really like the what you talked about with the, prob the problem if you know the first three steps, starting with what your student does know, I think this helps This helps communicate with teachers. It helps communicate with parents, like maybe somebody's trying to help you with your math homework and you know that student can communicate, I understand to hear. And now the parent gets a better understanding as well if they're the ones helping. That's just a really great way to start is like, let's give us some clarity first. And then we can get to the parts that we don't know. I think that's really, really helpful. Yeah, and it's it's especially effective, I found, with my students who do tend to be less self-confident. It's easy for them sometimes to just go to, well, I don't understand any of it. And just those little gentle questions like, well, tell me every, like, tell me the parts you do understand. It helps them start to see like, oh, I actually do understand more than I realized. Yeah. Yep. I really like that. So 
I ask everyone who is a guest a similar question at the end that I'd like to ask you because I think our kids are watching and learning from us just like we did with our parents, more so from our actions than from our words a lot of the time, even though we're talking about communication right now. Is there something that you learned from your parents' actions, either a parent or parents that you kind of carry with you today? Yeah, and it's honestly something I use every day as I'm coaching students. And I think what I learned from my parents is the power of presence. So my dad may be upset with me that I said, I think teaching is one of the hardest jobs because he's a farmer, which is so hard. (laughs) You know, you don't take time off really because, you know, the cows still need to be fed and um, crops still need to be taken care of. So I knew how busy he was and I come from um, a pretty big family. I have three brothers. And so my mom was also very busy. We're all very close in age. And so there was a lot going on. And so I really noticed when they showed up for me. So whether that was at one of my gymnastics meets or one of my, you know, assemblies at school, I knew it wasn't easy for them to get there. And I also know it's not easy for a lot of parents today. There's there's so many factors that go into that. And as hard as farming is, my dad did have the privilege of he didn't have to request time off to go do those things. He could make that decision for himself. And I know not all parents are in that position, but the ways that you can be present for your kids, like they really are noticing. And I see this with the families I work with too. They're sometimes talking with me about just their fears about getting things wrong or, you know, as they start to incorporate more executive functioning skill building into their, into their family's life, they're just concerned that it's not going to be enough to really um, restore that peaceful relationship with their child. And so I talk a lot with them about how your kids are noticing the efforts you're making they're noticing that you're trying a different way or that you're trying to incorporate something new. Even if they aren't verbally telling you that, they are picking up on it. Um, And so I try to carry what my parents did in my work with my students and just be really radically present with them. You know, showing up to the session without my own agenda, but really listening to what they wanna work on and the kind of support they need that day. That's the most important thing I could offer them. And I think that's a really important thing parents can offer their own kids is just just being there. Yeah. That's that's great. I really love that. And you know, we talk about how we should be praising our kids' effort, not necessarily outcome all the time or grades. And what you're saying is we should be looking at our effort as well. And that that's what our kids see. Our kids are seeing our effort and whether they're verbalizing it or not that's what they're internalizing. And that's really, that's great for a lot of us who are all still a work in progress with our parenting. Oh, that's such a good way to put it. I love it. Yes. Let's, let's apply a little growth mindset to how we're showing up for our kids too. Yeah. Caroline, this has been a great conversation. If we have any listeners who want to find more about your practice and the work that you do, where can they find you? Yeah, we would love to um, share a little bit more with you. You can head to our website. It's empoweracademiccoaching.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being here today. 
Yeah. Thank you. It was a great conversation. Yes. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Raising Middle School Girls podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more conversations with experts designed to help you support your middle school girl, please hit subscribe. You can also sign up for the newsletter, the link in the show notes, to receive emails about tips and resources, upcoming events, and new podcast episodes, all designed to support you and your child.